electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Good Tuesday. I'm Contessa Brewer in for Brian Sullivan, coming in with breaking news for you. Two stories that investors will need to digest for tomorrow. First, Fitch downgrades the U.S. long-term credit rating from AAA to AA+. Investors appear to be reacting to the news. Futures, as you can see, are lower, but well off the lows. And former President Trump has been criminally charged in connection with his efforts to overturn the 2020 election. Team coverage tonight. Eamon Javers and Emily Wilkins are in D.C. following these stories for us. Let's begin with Eamon. Eamon, what's the latest with President, former President Trump? Well, Contessa Special Counsel Jack Smith made a brief statement in the last hour explaining why he moved forward with this four-count indictment of the former president of the United States. The attack on our nation's capital on January 6th, 2021, was an unprecedented assault on the seat of American democracy. As described in the indictment, it was fueled by lies. Now, the 45-page indictment uh, itself charges Trump with conspiracy to defraud the United States, conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding, obstruction of an official proceeding, and a conspiracy against rights, that is, voting rights of Americans. Now, Jack Smith said he wanted a speedy trial in this case, and we're getting a sense that things are moving fast. The former president has been summoned to appear in federal court on Thursday. That's here in Washington, D.C. at 4 p.m. Now, the Trump campaign issued a statement this afternoon denouncing Smith in this entire effort, saying this is nothing more than the latest corrupt chapter in the continued pathetic attempt by the Biden crime family and their weaponized Department of Justice to interfere with the 2024 presidential election. Now, in the document filed today, we are learning more about the closed-door communications between the former president and his former vice president, Mike Pence, who testified before this grand jury and took contemporaneous notes of his conversations with Trump. In one exchange that's detailed in the document, Trump berated Pence because the vice president opposed an effort to establish that Pence had the authority to reject or return presidential votes. Now, here's what the indictment says. It says the vice president responded that he thought there was no constitutional basis for such authority and that it was improper. In response, the defendant told the vice president, you're too honest, quote unquote. In his remarks this evening, Contessa Special Counsel Smith said that the men and women of law enforcement who uh, defended the Capitol against violent attackers on January 6th are heroes, and they did more than defend a building or the people in it that day. They defended who we are as a country, Contessa. This is one of the many legal hurdles that the former president is facing while at the same time campaigning uh, out on the campaign trail. We see him at rallies uh, ahead of the presidential election. Where else are we expecting to see some movement on the legal challenges to Trump's actions back around 2020? 
Well, he's got a whole host of them, right? Because this uh, situation is in a federal court here in Washington, D.C. now. Uh, we've got potential state action uh, in different locations throughout the country. We've also got the president's been indicted on the question of keeping classified documents at Mar-a-Lago and allegedly refusing to return them or, or making an effort to not return them and obstruct justice there. Uh, so this is a former president who has just an incredible array of legal issues, even as he's campaigning to be reelected as president of the United States uh, in 2024. And the, and the question politically contests, I think, is you know, whether you start to see some of his Republican opponents start to hammer on this and say, look, Donald Trump simply has too many legal issues for us to trust him with the Republican presidential nomination. We haven't seen them really willing to go all mm. the way there yet, uh, but we'll see if that changes. Amy Javers, thank you for staying on top of that. More you reporting bet. to come. Next up, Fitch has just downgraded the U.S. credit rating from AAA to AA+. CNBC's Washington correspondent Emily Wilkins has been listening into the reaction from Treasury. Emily, what can you tell us? Well, at this point, the Treasury Department is very strongly pushing back against Fitch's rating downgrade. And if you really dig into what Fitch has been rating on here, it is a number of different factors. They say that they are actually concerned about the U.S. erosion of governance over the last two decades. Of course, that includes the rising deficits, things that we've seen with the debt limit standoff aren't really helping here. There are also medium-term fiscal challenges. And that's things like Social Security and Medicare, stuff that we know is eventually going to be a larger budgeting issue for the U.S. that Congress just has not really gone and addressed. And of course, Fitch is uh, thinking that there could be a chance that the U.S. does wind up slipping into a recession. And that is something that they want to keep an eye on here. And it is a concern that's been raised. Uh, Secretary Janet Yellen has really pushed back against it. The Treasury saying that a lot of what this rating is coming from happened in the previous administration, not the current Biden administration. Yellen said today that she strongly disagrees with Fitch's rating decision and that the change denounced is arbitrary and based on outdated data. She also went on to say that there were some serious concerns about exactly why the ratings changed the way that they did and defended the Biden administration's work, saying that they've shown improvement over the course of the Biden administration with bipartisan legislation, with addressing the debt limit, investing in infrastructure and making other investments in America. America's competitiveness. Uh, Contessa, we do expect Secretary Janet Yellen to be speaking tomorrow, where she is expected to further address this drop in U.S.'s ratings. Emily Wilkins from Washington, D.C. for us. Emily, thank you. Let's get some reaction now from our markets panel, Managing Director and Chief Market Strategist at B. Riley Financial, Art Hogan, and Chief Market Strategist for StoneX, Catherine Rooney-Vera. Thank you both for being here. Catherine, let's begin with you a little bit. This move by Fitch had been telegraphed a bit. We saw the futures declining, uh, looking to go ne negative, and then recovering some ground. How big a deal do you think this downgrade is for the markets? I don't think it's going to be that big of a deal, but hopefully it is a wake-up call, Contessa, with regard to the fiscal responsibility of the country. I'm concerned, uh, of course, about this. It has not been given a primary focus in recent years, and you can see that reflected in the fiscal deficit. You can also see that, which is 6.3% of GDP this year, reflected in debt to GDP of 135%, and as well with interest payments as a percent of GDP, which rose one percentage point over the past year. 
Interest payments a couple of years ago were about 10% of total expenditures. So, of course, as the Treasury yields rise, it becomes more costly to service the debt. Um, so I think this is not going to derail the markets at all. But I would say that there are some risks going forward, not just on the fiscal side for the Treasury market, but also, for example, from the, from, from Japan with yield curve control, you could get a repatriation towards Japan and JGBs mm. out of Treasuries. And that could put additional upside upside pressure on Treasury yields. All right, this consequence, this effect to America's rate credit rating was something that we talked about on CNBC when the whole back and forth over the debt ceiling was happening. When you have Fitch citing fiscal brinkmanship and, and the debt levels that we're seeing and that this interest rate cycle is problematic, those are huge issues to tackle. But where do you think that this downgrade comes down for investors? Well, I think Catherine said it perfectly correct. This, is, this should be and likely will be a wake-up call for the way we run our business, right? As a government, going through these debt ceiling um, dances every few years and, 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 the, and, the, and all of the pageantry that comes around, that is completely unnecessary. We're the only developed country that actually goes through that process. And, and, and Washington needs to make some distinct changes so we don't have to walk up the edge of the cliff every time we're going through uh, the racing debt ceiling. I think that's probably the most important takeaway. For markets, we've seen this. We've seen this before, right? 2011, oddly enough, in August, S and P downgraded yeah. the same thing. The exact same concerns. We had concerns over um, the debt ceiling debacle that we go through every several years, and and then that's. I think that that's the main takeaway. I think investors will look at this and say, "Are you know, does the rest of the world want to continue to buy our treasuries?" Absolutely, they do. Will there be some bumps in the road, especially as it pertains to? Uh, uh, Japan um, controlling the curve. Yeah, we've already seen that impacting uh, uh, rates at all, already. If you look at the two-day move and the tens and the, and the twos, we're actually seeing that bump up. And, and so I think that's part of that part of the story is already starting to get priced in the treasury curve. I'm not as concerned about this, but this is, uh, you know, to Catherine's point, I think it's a really good wake-up call for Washington that we need to stop this dance yeah. that we go through every several years, and it's just not productive, and it, it, it certainly doesn't make us look good. We want to talk about some of the action from the market today. We had some bullish commentary from the Caterpillar CEO earlier making some positive comments. But he also we also heard from some strategists sort of waving the surrender flag and upping their price targets here. Oppenheimer's chief investment strategist took his year end S&P price target to a street uh, 4900. That's about 7 percent from here. Street high. Here's what he said earlier today. The overstimulation by both the Fed and fiscal policy of two administrations is likely helping the markets, the economy, the consumer uh, labor to weather uh, the hike cycle remarkably well. And, and it's reflected in the equity market, we think. Catherine, you've been somewhat cautious here. When you see strategists raising their price targets after the kind of rally we have seen, do you think the bulls should be nervous here? Well, I think portfolio managers should be cautious, and I think cautious investors are wise to seek hedging options. You can stay long this trade because inflation is um, decelerating, and that's fantastic. The Fed is already at its terminal rate, uh, Contessa. But what I would say is look at volatility. Volatility on the triple Qs is near three-year lows. So that means that buying protection on the subset of the S&P 500, which is 30% of the S&P 500, and that subset tech, has risen 45 percent 
you can buy some cheap insurance on those positions. You can get a, a naked put, for example, for $3.10 over a three-month time period, protecting 10% downside. So yes, I do think there's momentum. Yes, there is further to run, likely. I am cautious. I think that we should protect portfolios in the equity space and add to fixed income positions. I think bear steepeners are attractive right now in the fixed income space. And I do like um, maintenance of a position in gold as well as in cash. Art, you were a bull when you were the voice crying in the wilderness here. Now that you have a lot of company out there, do you think we're all bulled out? Well, I can tell you this, you know, and I agree with Catherine, if you are looking, um, if you're nervous about the time frame we're in right now and the significant run the market's made, insurance is cheap. And then that's largely true, and it hasn't been this cheap in a while. So, you know, that protection. And if you're thinking that the calendar repeats itself, oftentimes and it does, August and September are tough months for markets, especially when they've had the magnitude move that we've seen in the S&P 500 thus far this year. What I'm really excited about, though, and this has been since Memorial Day, is the broadening out of this rally. So whether you look at the Russell 2000 small caps that outperformed um, all three of the major indices over that span of, of June and July, the, the, the catch-up trade is really catching hold here. So we're seeing a bid in energy and financials. And certainly, I think healthcare is the next sector to move. So what I suspect happens for the second half of this year is going to be that sort of underperformers catching up while the, that, that uh, you know technology, communication services, and, and consumer discretionary likely will pause here. And I think that's healthy. I think a broader market is much more sustainable. And I think that's the way the market acts for the balance of this year. But if we're going to have a 5% pullback, which we usually have three times a year, August is a good time to do it. Art, Catherine, thank you for joining us on this Tuesday evening. Appreciate it. Quick programming note here. Tune into Power Lunch tomorrow for Leslie Picker's exclusive interview with J.P. Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon. They'll chat in Bozeman, Montana, where Leslie will get Dimon's latest take on the economy, his thoughts on whether the banking crisis is over, and his reaction to recent regulation. That's tomorrow, 2 p.m. Eastern time. Up next, has revenge travel been... Avenged? We'll ask the CEO of Caesars Entertainment, fresh off earnings that included some tough Baccarat luck. Back from beyond, how Overstock.com is keeping the Bed Bath brand alive. And who is backing RFK Jr.? The big Wall Street names bankrolling the dark house Dem. Plus, golfers getting some representation on the PGA Tours board. Can Tiger's appointment keep frustrated players cool? Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? The real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.
Oh, we've heard so much post-pandemic about pent-up demand for entertainment and travel. But is the pent-up spent? JetBlue reporting second quarter earnings end. While results came in line with estimates, shares of the airline saw a major dip after the company cut its third quarter guidance and noted that domestic travel could see a downturn in the latter half of the year. JetBlue's COO said in a statement, while we remain on track to deliver a profitable year, we're taking action, including redeploying capacity to mitigate these current challenges and improve margins. Norwegian Cruise Lines also cutting revenue forecasts for the third quarter, sending shares sharply lower today. So are American travelers traveled out in America? Our next guest might have some answers. He's the CEO of Caesars Entertainment. His company topped revenue expectations on the quarter. And joining me to discuss that, the company's outlook and, hey, some tough Baccarat odds at the table, is Caesars Entertainment CEO Tom Reeg. Just proof, Tom, that the house doesn't always win, right? That's right, Contessa. Sometimes the gamblers win, and that's what keeps the keeps our lives interesting. Let's talk a little bit about Las Vegas casinos and regional casinos. In Las Vegas, where you're one of two major players and employers on the Strip, you were up against some tough odds for, for last year, but said that you're still on track for a record year in terms of a key metric EBITDA. Tell me why. Yeah, Contessa, demand continues to be extremely strong in Las Vegas. We had another... A very strong quarter. Overall, our quarter was the second best quarter in the history of the company. Uh, in Las Vegas, you've got, as you look to the back half of the year, you've got Formula One coming in November, which is super exciting for us. And then you've got the Super Bowl in February of 24. So big events that are driving significant play, both from domestic customers and international. For the last year or so, Tom, it has felt like the Las Vegas Strip was a bit of a bubble apart from other travel experiences, that people were willing to save up and really splurge because you had roommate rates going higher than ever across the Las Vegas Strip. But what about the rest of the country? Are your regional casinos still performing? Our regional casinos continue to perform well. If you look at the quarter that we just reported, other than properties where we have significant new competition that open, like Council Bluffs, Iowa, Tunica, Mississippi, and the Chicago area, we've got significant demand uh, in keeping with what we saw last year. And then we have new projects that have come online, Lake Charles, Louisiana, Danville, Virginia, expansions to our properties in Indianapolis, so as a result, our regional business was flat to last year uh, in the quarter we just reported. And you've posted a profit in your digital segment for the first time ever, first time quarterly profit. That includes sports betting, online sports betting, and what we call iGaming. It means playing casino games digitally online. Uh, in that space, you've rolled out a new, you're rolling out a new iGaming app called Caesars Palace. And you've launched this different technology called Liberty on your Caesars Sportsbook app. How important is the technology? How important is that app itself in trying to gain market share and players? These are big pieces for us, Contessa. On the sports betting side, Nevada is our largest state. We were on 
old technology in Nevada. We have the Liberty app, which is the newest technology comparable to our peers' apps throughout the country, didn't have it in Nevada because we needed to get through the licensing process. We accomplished that and we started to roll out Liberty in Nevada. So things that customers are accustomed to now, like same game parlays, which were not available anywhere in Nevada, are now available on our app. We'll have 95% of our Nevada handle on Liberty by the middle of this month. And then on the iCasino side, our iCasino product was a tab that you navigated through our sports betting app to iCasino. We've rolled out the Caesars Palace online casino. We're awaiting approval in a couple of states that we expect any day now. And then you'd see a launch of that app across all of the iGaming states that are active today. And that brings with it bonusing customer segmentation ability and really bringing a casino forward app, which we think can build that business for. You mentioned Super Bowl and how big, big that's going to be for Caesars. Is that also an opportunity to have all of those people visiting for the Super Bowl? They want to make a bet on their phone and you can't get FanDuel, the market leader nationally, or DraftKings in Nevada, right? On your phone, you can't bet on those two sports books. Is this an opportunity to gain market share of the Super Bowl? That is correct. You're going to have a lot of people coming from out of state that may or may not be our customers. If you'd like to place a bet on your phone in Nevada when you're at the Super Bowl or in town for the Super Bowl, we're going to be an extremely appealing option we're the market leader in Nevada. Tom, I really appreciate you joining us. Thank you very much. Looking forward to F1 like everybody else. Thanks for having me, Contessa. Still ahead, chipmaker AMD just reported earnings and will let you guess how many times AI was mentioned on that call. Stay with us. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? <clears throat> the real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. Time for tomorrow's news tonight. The stories you'll be talking about tomorrow morning. The Biden administration is delaying refilling the SPR, the nation's emergency oil reserve. An Energy Department spokesperson confirmed that the U.S. is now pulling back its offer to buy six million barrels of oil. The spokesperson cited market conditions as the reason. Another story you'll be talking about tomorrow morning, Starbucks posting earnings after the bell, seeing growth of 10 percent globally in same-store sales. CNBC's Kate Rogers has been following that, has the latest. Hi, Kate. 
Hey, Contessa, it was a mixed third quarter for Starbucks. EPS, a five cent beat at $1 adjusted, but revenues a slight miss at $9.2 billion, although that is a record revenue number for Starbucks. Same store sales, also a slight miss, up 10% globally, as you said, 24% internationally, and up 7% in the U.S. That was a miss versus the up 8.4% estimated by analysts. Now, in the U.S., the company said it's seeing a 6% increase in average ticket in the quarter and a 1% increase in average transaction. Action. Customization, also a big story, helping to boost sales for Starbucks. 60% of beverages in the U.S. were customized in the quarter, and the company also had an all-time high food attachment to its orders, with one in five ordering food with their drinks. China, a key market for Starbucks, it saw same-store sales up 46% year-on-year, driven by a 48% increase in transactions, but a 1% decrease in average ticket. Last year, remember, COVID lockdowns were a huge drag on China's same-store sales, so you're seeing a nice rebound there, even as analysts had warned that the China recovery could take a bit longer than expected. The team sounded extremely optimistic on China, with China's CEO Belinda Wong saying the company well welcomes competition there, which has been a concern for some analysts. And she added the company is really playing the long game in China. Starbucks CEO saying it is early days in China in terms of the conversion of the Chinese consumer from tea drinkers to coffee drinkers. Starbucks also reporting Contessa it now has 31 million Starbucks rewards members. That is up 15% year on year. The company's CFO also updating its full year 2023 EPS guidance to a range of between 16 and 17% growth from its previous range of 15 to 20% growth, so narrowing that range there. Long-term guidance, though, stayed in place, as did its 2023 revenue guidance of up 10 to 12%. The stock was just slightly lower after hours. Back over to you. All right, Kate Rogers, thank you for the very thorough report on earnings there. Let's turn to chipmaker AMD posting results after the bell. The company is seeing its second straight quarter of declining year-over-year revenue. And Christina Partsonevelis has the latest for us, joins us in studio tonight. What did you hear from AMD? Well, their earnings came in only slightly higher than anticipated, but it seems like all investors want to know about is how AMD and every other company right now is going to capitalize on the artificial intelligence trend. And for AMD... It's going to be, hopefully, according to them, Q4 of this year, because that's when it will launch a new AI chip, the MI300, to compete with NVIDIA, the current market leader for those graphic processing units, the GPUs everyone talks about. And that shows us that AMD is a little late to the AI game, but could see some real orders in 2024. And much of why maybe the stock hasn't jumped as much as NVIDIA over the last three months, but really which stock has overall. But the overall chip trends from AMD were very similar to competitor Intel. Personal computer sales, these are the processors in the personal computers, have hit their bottom, down about 54% year over year, but are improving. And secondly, the data center business. You know those processors used to make calculations and store data. According to Lisa Su, the CEO, is still pretty weak. We also see um, some of the softer cloud uh, spend that is happening outside of AI as some of the cloud vendors are optimizing, you know, sort of their um, their CapEx. And enterprise, I would say, is still on the weaker side. But with all of that in place, um, we are expecting a large ramp in the second half for our data center business. What AMD's CEO is telling us is similar to Intel's CEO just last week, the earnings report. Budgets are moving to more expensive AI chips instead of the more traditional servers. So the word is that I've been using on CNBC is cannibalization. But management believes client 
which encompasses PC business and data center segments, will grow at, quote, a double-digit percentage in the second half, although they did not provide any hard numbers. And AMD has already secured some orders from Microsoft and Amazon. And on tonight's earnings call, they said they have others committed, but they wouldn't say who the others were. Well, maybe they're just not ready to reveal that yet. Precisely. What, what about this in the news release? Our AI engagements increased by more than seven times in the quarter. What does that mean? Oh, great question. You would think, okay, oh, that's great. Does that mean sales? No, that does not translate to sales. AI engagements is sales engagements is a term used often in the business world. It's the point of contact. I, I've called you. I've emailed you. I've maybe set up a trial for you. You're interested, but you haven't really bought the product yet. So they're saying they have way more customers, seven times the number, uh, more engaged, but that hasn't translated to sales just yet. You have to wonder if the sales team is going to use that then to go in for raise. But look at our engagements. We're working really hard well, I'm sure at that, it, right? That does play yeah. a big role for sales reps across the country. I, I heard you were keeping track of how many times know, they said AI. This is so fun, right? Intel, it was 58. AMD, hats off to, to Noah, uh, producer, my producer. He, it was about 50 times, give or take 50. Wow. So came in a little bit less. That is the code Intel. word. Thank, thank you, Christina. A quick programming note here. Squawk on the street tomorrow morning and catch the first on CNBC interview with AMD CEO Lisa Sue. That's at 9 a.m. Eastern time. Still ahead, Overstock.com, a company that's conjured up excitement on Wall Street in the past, has swooped in to scoop up the Bed Bath & Beyond brand. Could an army of retail traders take notice? Next. Welcome back to The Last Call. If you're just joining us, Fitch just downgraded the U.S. credit rating from AAA to AA+. Futures are lower, but well off the post-session lows, as you can see. The announcement triggered an immediate rebuke from Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. She said the change by Fitch ratings announced today is arbitrary and based on outdated data. Those are her exact words. Let's take a look at how the banks are reacting now. You can see JP Morgan Chase in extended trade off half of a percent. Citigroup, Wells Fargo, Bank of America off roughly the same. And the big tech stocks now are also reacting to that. You've got Apple off by a quarter percentage point, Alphabet off by almost a full percent, Meta off by half, and Amazon off by a third of a percent. Bed Bath & Beyond is back in action. Overstock has relaunched the brand as an on online retailer today after buying the brand of the bankrupt company earlier this year. It shouldn't come as any surprise that Overstock is the name to resurrect the dying brand. That company has a knack for working with failing retailers. When Overstock was launched in 1999, the company made a name for itself as an online marketplace that sold excess goods, from failed dot-com companies at wholesale prices. The biggest difference now is Overstock isn't just selling merchandise from a failed company. It's merged its business under the Bed Bath & Beyond domain. So Overstock.com now takes you directly to Bed Bath & Beyond webpage. Join me for, no for more on this. And for what's next for the online retailer is CEO Jonathan Johnson, good to see you today. Thank you for being here. Thank you. You and I were actually sitting in the green room and you were saying, just type in overstock.com and look at where it takes you and Bed Bath & Beyond. And they all take you now to a Bed Bath & Beyond website. On day one of this newly relaunched brand for overstock.com, what did you see in traffic? 
Well, it always takes a little bit for search engine optimization and email pipes to warm up. But even on day one, we did see increased traffic that we would expect to see on a Tuesday following a Monday. So looks good, even at the very beginning. We expect after a week or so to see much, much better results. You launched as Bed Bath & Beyond in Canada a little bit sooner. What's the data looking like there? The data in Canada has been great. Uh, direct traffic is up, so people who type in bedbathandbeyond.ca is up. Uh, the return on ad spend for our search engine marketing is up. And importantly, when customers come to the site, their conversion from being a shopper to a purchaser is up. So all three of those, good signs for what we're doing. I noticed right away when I went to the website that a coupon that looks awfully lot like those old-fashioned paper coupons that Bed Bath & Beyond was famous for, it pops up on your screen. Is that going to be an important part of Overstock's business moving forward? So we have always been promotional, whether it's site sales or coupons. We'll continue to be promotional. I think what's important is when the customer comes to this new Bed Bath & Beyond, they'll, they'll see both promotions and sharper prices. So uh, yes, couponing will continue, but probably not need not be quite as deep and as big as, as it had been at Bed Bath & Beyond. We heard some of the commentary from others reporting earnings today that might be a little bit cautious when it comes to consumer spending. JetBlue was talking a little bit about yeah. redeploying some of its assets. Maybe that's because a lot of the travel is overseas, but maybe it's because consumers are feeling a little more cautious with their own pocketbooks. What are you seeing with your shoppers? We see that too. We see that customers have money to spend, but they wait for big promotional events. We saw it at Memorial Day. We saw it at our Independence Day sale. We expect we'll see a, a bump in sales around Labor Day. When there are good deals, customers have money to spend, but they're being very careful with it. And are they already spending on back to school? Uh, they have been spending on back to school. That's actually something that starts earlier in the summer. We hope to capitalize on the tail end of that because Bed Bath & Beyond has been great for back to dorm. Sure. We think we'll capitalize more on it next year than this year. Jonathan, thank you so much for coming into the studio with me, and congratulations on the relaunch of Bed Bath & Beyond Online. Thank you. Coming up, who on Wall Street is backing lightning rod candidate Robert F. Kennedy Jr. for president? Welcome back. Time for our last call. Watch list. First up, Tesla. Shares for Elon Musk's company took a 2% dip today, likely due to reporting of the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration's probe into steering control issues with 2023 Model 3 and Model Y vehicles. The investigation pertains to an estimated 280,000 Tesla vehicles around the company, and the stock is off by 2 and a third percent. Next up, Yellow Corp share for the trucking company up are you ready for this? More than 120% today, despite the fact that it's heading toward a bankruptcy filing. Further extending its Monday gains, shares are up more than 450% in just the last two days. Finally, Tupperware. You can call this the meme stock that can't be stopped. Shares for the company up 26%, and they're up for the past nine of, out of 10 sessions. Shares for the company have increased more than 700% since July 19th. 
adding nearly $212 million in market cap. That accounts for a little more than 88% of its current market cap. The memers love it. Next up, more details coming to light regarding who on Wall Street and in Silicon Valley are bankrolling Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s presidential campaign. According to campaign filings, wealthy businessman Timothy Mellon donated $5 million to Kennedy's super PAC called American Values. Other notable donors, Bill Ackman, Pershing Square CEO, Brian Singerman, partner at Peter Thiel's Founders Fund, Gavin DeBecker, a security consultant close to Jeff Bezos, Patrick Byrne, the former CEO of Overstock.com, Silicon Valley venture capitalist Chamath Palapatia, and a group funded by Silicon Valley investor David Sachs. Overall, Kennedy's super PAC has raised $9.8 million the first half of this year and $6.5 million in July alone. Joining me now, Kate Kelly, CNBC contributor and New York Times reporter digging into all of this fundraising lately. Kate, what are you learning about what's so appealing about RFK for these donors? Well, I think it's a couple of things, Contessa, and thanks so much for having me. I think it's a combination of style and substance. So maybe to just dispatch with style first. People like the fact that I've talked to, at least, that Kennedy seems authentic to them. He seems candid. He's the kind of candidate who will get on a podcast and talk for three hours. He'll answer any question. As Omid Malik, one of these donors, put it to me, he's not going to contort himself uh, in a certain way, depending on who else is at the table. He's going to say what he believes. So people find that refreshing, I think, in much the same way that people found Donald Trump refreshing six years ago. At the same time, on the substance, there are issues that people relate to. I haven't spoken to any anyone for the for my latest reporting who agrees with him on every single issue but they appreciate that that he seems to have done his homework um, and his diligence on certain areas that he's passionate about the environment the role of the legacy banking system by the way he's he's a big cryptocurrency enthusiast he takes campaign donations in Bitcoin which people appreciate it in that area of the economy uh, he feels that the banking system sometimes does a disservice to regular Americans he's tweeted about that at length um, he also of course has strong feelings about the pharmaceutical industry and the COVID-19 response. He's anti-vaccine. He's concerned about the the supposed links between autism and vaccines, even though those have been disproven. But in general, he he doesn't like the way the government responded to the COVID-19 threat, Contessa. And a lot of people in business agree. They may not agree with every single plank in that platform, but they do feel like it had a deleterious effect on kids in school, businesses, and the economy. So this notion that we could do better and, and the government sort of involvement in our lives is in need of improvement is very much a sort of Wall Street friendly, Silicon Valley friendly approach. Kate, when we're looking at all of the people who so far have thrown their hats in the ring to be considered as president, I mean, and this is a crowded field. I'm looking at this right now. The Republican, the Republican side is crowded. You've got a few on the Democratic side. The fact that the American Values 2024 Super PAC for RFK has raised $9.8 million by the end of June. Does that kind of fundraising automatically put him toward the front of the pack? 
No, I mean, I think to be to keep things in perspective, that is actually not a lot of money by comparison to some of these more established candidates. It's actually a little bit higher than that because there are two packs. The one you're signing is is far bigger in terms of its fundraising hall than the other. So the total is about 10.5 million if you combine the two. But, you know, let's face it, in polls, he's still very far behind the Democratic front runner, which of course is President Biden. The New York Times and Siena conducted a poll that was released just a couple of days ago. They showed that among registered voters overall, Biden's at about 64% for the Democratic nomination. Kennedy is a very distant second at 13%. And it gets worse for Kennedy when you look at people who are likely to vote and some other metrics. So, And, and in fact, we have, we have here, you know, that the Biden campaign has raised so far $72 million in funding, according to the campaign filings. So, so significantly ahead of someone who may end up being his uh, competitor in the primaries, or who knows, we still have time to see how things shake out. You bet. And, you know, the other thing is, and the Times just did some great reporting on this within the last day or so, uh, Trump, of course, has raised quite a bit of money, but because of expenses on legal fees, which, of course, are an issue today on people's minds, as well as in recent weeks and months, that uh, campaign fundraising apparatus is practically broke uh, in terms of the money that it needs to spend on advertising and traditional campaign expenses. So you've got a very interesting picture here on the campaign fundraising front. And I think Bobby Kennedy will be one to watch. Let me just say one other thing, since this is CNBC and we, we focus on the markets and the economy here, I think some people may be hedging their bets by supporting Kennedy. Mm -hmm. They may not be all in on Kennedy, Contessa, but you know they like him as an option. They want to see someone who's going to mix it up on the debate stage or in the race. Uh, I spoke to one person today who's maxed out to the direct campaigns of both uh, DeSantis, Governor DeSantis, and uh, Kennedy. So very different ends of the spectrum in, on the one hand. But on the other, if you're looking for some more youthful candidates, <laughs> maybe those are your guys. Yeah. I mean, just right when you say youthful, we're showing him shirtless doing a push-up. I mean, the timing could not have been more genius. What a control room we have. Kate, you planned that, didn't you? Yeah. I mean, look at that. <laughs> Kate Kelly, thank you very much. Appreciate that. Time Thank now you. for our quicker than the ticker, all the news that mattered in the world of business and oh, more bears. Let's put 60 seconds on the clock. X does not mark the spot. The new logo taken off the headquarters of what was Twitter in San Francisco. Neighbors complained to the city it bothered them. Where's the beef? A class action lawsuit against Taco Bell accuses the fast food chain of false advertising. Frank Siragusa alleges Taco Bell's Mexican pizza menu items, including the Crunchwrap, don't have enough beans or beef. He included side-by-side -side pictures of the entrees and its ad as his proof. Amazon rolled out its virtual health clinic service called Amazon Clinic. It lets users connect with telemedicine providers over video or text. Barely there? A video of a bear at a Chinese zoo sparked debate online. Is it a bear or a person dressed in a costume? What do you think? The zoo says it's a species called a sun bear. The price of admission to the Guggenheim Museum in New York City is going up. 30 bucks. It used to be 25. And snakes on a cricket field. Look at this. Interrupting the game in Sri Lanka yesterday, officials were called into the game to move the snake back to its natural habitat. Coming up, Tiger Woods is joining the PGA Tour's board. Can he get other players to back the Live Golf merger? Stay with us. Well, the biggest name in golf is teeing up a new role. Tiger Woods is joining the PGA Tour's policy board. 
He replaces AT&T chairman Randall Stevenson, who resigned from the board last month. I mean, this is a big deal. The move swings the balance of power in the PGA Tour. Players now outnumber independent board members six to five, and that means they'll have the final say in the tour's plans to form a partnership with the Saudi-backed Live Golf, a major concession to the players' demands after they were blindsided by the announcement of the deal two months ago. For more on this, let's bring in the host of Barstool's Foreplay golf podcast, Sam Bozian, better known as Riggs, a.k.a. Riggs. Hey, Riggs, thank you for being here on Last Call. Thank you, Contessa. Thank you for having me. I apologize. I'm in a hotel room here, but I would never miss an opportunity to talk about the great Tiger Woods. Uh, enormous day today. We all would be incredibly excited, uh, even if you know you told us Tiger Woods is buying groceries, you'd be paying attention. So now... <laughs> The fact that he's out there, he's going to be an enormous figure on the PGA Tours policy board. Uh, it's kind of a win-win-win for everybody. Uh, obviously, money has been an enormous part of the discussion in the professional golf for the last couple of years. Tiger Woods is golf. He's been golf. If people look at the history from before Tiger Woods came out on the PGA Tour in 1996, the leading money winner, Tom Lehman, was at $1.78 million in 1996. Ten years later, Tiger Woods was at $10.6 million as the money leader. This year, Scotty Scheffler is already at $19.1 million as the money leader. Phil Mickelson himself has credited Tiger Woods for changing golf that dramatically. Ratings improve 80, 90, 100% when Tiger Woods is in the field versus when he's not. So now, Jay Monahan, the PGA Tour, got him on the board. I believe 41 players signed this letter to the PGA Tour, essentially saying, look, we don't want to be cut out of something this big or anything really, but this announcement that came a couple months ago was so jarring, so shocking, uh, that it it led to massive changes. Uh, and one of those was obviously Tiger Woods now joining this board, the players outnumbering the independents, like you said. Um, so it's a, it's a big day for the PGA Tour. And I think Everyone in the world of golf is going to be happy when Tiger Woods joins. Okay, the money in this is astonishing because we know that he turned down a reported $700 million to join Live Golf. Is this a back way of just getting him on the board with Live? Like, well, you, you I know, think like, that it you, was. You've got to move forward with it now, Tiger. I think that it was in a big way, you know, um, Jay Monahan and the PGA Tour, you know, um, protecting themselves, right? I think Jay Monahan had a lot of bad will. He was a very unpopular person um, uh, around the country, around the world, but especially among the players over the last two months since this announcement came. And if you look at Tiger Woods' statement, you know, one of the key parts in there was that he has confidence in Jay Monahan. That is going to protect Jay Monahan's job, at least mm. for the time being. So I think it was a big move in that regard. And like I said, 41 players came on and signed this, the likes of Roy McIlroy, Jordan Spieth, Justin Thomas, and many, right. many others. So I think that this move in, in a lot of ways kind of protects the PGA Tour a little bit because when you got Tiger on your side in golf, you're in a much better spot than when you don't. Riggs, the amazing thing about TV in this post-pandemic era is that it doesn't matter to us whether you're in a hotel room or a studio. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Appreciate it. Do you know what happened 42 years ago tonight? MTV launched just after midnight with the words, ladies and gentlemen, rock and roll. Then followed by this music video. Who among us who was alive back then can forget 
Video killed the radio star by the Buggles. It set the tone for the future success of the network. And over the years, of course, MTV expanded its programming to include award ceremonies and reality TV shows. Despite the challenges in the digital age, MTV remains a symbol of music and youth culture and rebellion, rock and roll. That is your last call for tonight. We'll see you back here tomorrow. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.